What's good, Charleston fans? Welcome back to the Holy City Hoops podcast. Tommy here to talk CFC basketball, but I can't do it alone. Joining me this week, first-time guest on this program. He's a former basketball player at the college, the original UNC Tar Heel killer. Most of you probably know him as the color commentator beside Everett German on the game broadcasts. It's Mr. Danny Johnson. Danny's here to help break down two big games this week, a homestand for the Cougars against Northeastern and Hofstra. Lots to take away and discuss from both of those matchups, and I think you're going to enjoy the point of view that Danny has, uh, not just from being at half court calling these games, but as a former player, as a College of Charleston alumnus. We cover a lot of different topics in this episode. You all know the drill. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app so that new episodes are delivered straight to your mobile device. Check out HolyCityHoops.com for the written word and follow at HolyCityHoops, that's easy to remember, on social media. Let's bring in Danny. All right, I'm very pleased to welcome in the color commentator for the Cougars, a former hooper at the college, Danny Johnson. What's going on, man? I'm good, man. You know, uh, coming off a good week for the Cougars, you know, split it in home, but, you know, it's positive overall. How's your heart rate doing? Because I don't know if mine's <laughs> come down from uh, two close games. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's tough right now, but considering we won this last one, I feel a little bit better. And of course, of course, you know, I have a, a front row seat right there half court, so yeah. I get to see it up close and personal. So I I'm kind of living it at the same time, especially being an ex-player. So, yeah, I have a I have a lot of skin in the game. So, yes, I'm definitely going with the ups and downs with the team. <laughs> well, I've always appreciated your perspective, uh, being a guy who's who's played basketball at the college and, you know, someone who's still close to the program. So I'm excited to have you on today. Do you want to start? Do you want to go chronological order and start with Northeastern or do you want to start with the game the Cougars won and start with Hofstra? However you like to do it. Either way, is fine with me. All right. Well, I don't want to relive the Northeastern game, but there's a lot to unpack from that one. So <laughs> let's start there. Um, tough loss for the Cougars, obviously. Uh, they give up a 15-point cushion in the second half. Uh, it's funny. I, I think it was you who said it on the broadcast. It was you or Everett who was like, I feel a Northeastern run coming mm -hmm. here. Uh, what, what made you think that? What made you think that was going to happen? Um, fortunately for me, I not only played, it ended up being five years for me because I was a transfer originally from Clemson. So I have so many different perspectives and I've been in so many games that felt like that. And even professionally, you know, for 10 years, I've been in so many games as a certain vibe and a feeling you get like a gut feeling. And that's really my job on the broadcast. Like Everett's the play by play, play setup guy. And my job is to kind of decipher what's going on, break down the science, but relate it to the people that's listening, not get too technical. So I've just been in it long enough to, to have that feeling. And yes, that was me that said it. I could see from the vibe of the game, the way it was going. I just said, you know, don't have a good feeling about this one because it feels like Northeastern is about to go on one of those runs. Yeah. And they've done that against the Cougars before, mm -hmm. um, you know, going back to the bold brace game, his freshman year, I think when he threw the ball over the backboard to win it, right. um, they, there's always, always drama between these two teams. I think the, the takeaway for me is probably something that you and Everett touched on as well as coach Grant post game, just some of those turnovers. Um, so 13 turnovers in that game by the Cougars, which isn't a ton, but 
it turned into 23 points for Northeastern. And all the other stats in this game were pretty similar. Threes, free throw shooting, rebounds. Uh, so that stat about Northeastern being able to take advantage of those turnovers and turn it into offense really was glaring, I think, in this one, especially late in the game. Yeah, it's one of the things I did bring up in the post game with Coach Grant. Um, you know, I'm a guy that doesn't use the stat sheet a lot. I think you might notice that if you listen to me. I'm a, I'm a feel guy. So while I do believe in analytics, I do think there's many other things you have to consider. And looking at that stat sheet, there's no way that the college should lose it on paper, you mm -hmm. know, but there's a certain vibe and a feeling in the game that you just felt they didn't pull away from him. And anytime a team doesn't do that, and I always say the basketball gods tend to punish you. It's like yes. missing <laughs> a wide open layup for whatever reason, the other team always scores. Like there's no rhyme or reason to that. It just happens. And so a lot of times I can identify those in a game and it was one of those games. And that was a tough post game for me because uh, again, as an ex player and understanding how it feels, those losses are hard to swallow because oh, yeah. you, you lost the game. They didn't necessarily win the game. Like you'll be in matches where, you know, somebody beat you by 20. Well, you can live with that. You just got outplayed or, you know, they just flat out just beat you. You can live with that. But the ones that you give away seem to hold more weight and just and just really sting. And it's hard to pick that locker room up after a loss like that. Well, there are so many good things that the team did in this game. I mean, obviously, the, the triple-double from Grant Riller, the 20 points from Sam, things that you'd want to celebrate afterward, and just the way this game went, it feels like it stung so much that you couldn't even really get up for those kind of uh, achievements. There's no doubt about it. I mean, of course, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a Grant Riller fan. There's a lot of guys great players to come through this program. A lot of guys with three initials after their name, you know, and successful professionals. So we're seeing one of the best, you know, do it right in front of us. And him being the first player to ever get a triple-double, one, that was amazing to me to hear. I didn't know that stat existed, but, you know, mm -hmm. it's amazing to hear that. You know, that's something you really want to celebrate. Sam Miller kind of breaking out, of, having a breakout game of sorts for him. That's something to celebrate. But, you know, when you lose like that, and I know those guys are competitors, that's the last thing on your mind, you know, and while you want to take those positives, it's so difficult to just, those are just so hard to swallow. There's a theory I saw on the College of Charleston message boards that I want to run by you, mm -hmm. and it's that when the Cougars open up the game and they're hitting jumpers and they're hitting shots and the offense is just really churning, that they kind of take their foot off the gas on the defensive end and on the rebounding end. Do you think there's any validity to that theory? I've been wrestling with this for almost a decade. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a dinosaur of sorts when it comes, you know, I'll be 44 in March. So the approach to basketball and even the players mentality is much different. I'm sure you've heard that a lot, but there's mm -hmm. truth to it because I hate talking about when I played, but there's definitely, you have to make the comparisons in a sense. And so I was always part of teams that if we got you down 15 with four minutes ago, I think it was something like that with Northeastern, you know, we're going to step on the gas and push that up to 22, 24 points because the psychology of the team doesn't, they don't come out feeling like they can win the game. You've almost put it away on them. 
And mm-hmm. the college has seemed to do that with regularity, you know, like we're up 15, let's let up a little bit or let's relax a little bit. And you just can't do that. Basketball is a game where being up 20 doesn't mean that much. I mean, three or four, three pointers, a couple plays here and there, and you're back in it. It doesn't take long to erase these deficits. So, you know, it's something that's been plaguing them for a while. And I, I really hope the players learn, like maybe this is the game that stings them bad enough where they understand that you don't pull up, but you actually push on the gas even more. I can't put my finger on exactly what was going on as that lead was evaporating in the second half. Uh, I don't know if it was shot selection or aggressiveness from the Cougars, but something seemed off because you're right. It never really felt like that much of a cushion if you're a Cougars fan and just knowing this Northeastern team and, and how good they are. And I mean, we should mention Jordan Rowland played like a guy gunning for player of the year. Um, so he he had his way at 33 points. Uh, Bolden Brace always does his thing against the Cougars, it seems. Uh, and those guys never never let up and took advantage when Charleston kind of, uh, you know, let their foot off the gas a little bit. Yeah, sometimes I think uh, the Cougars get away from their identity. Uh, Coach Grant and I talked about it a little bit in our postgame wrap-up. You know, when they're coming out and hitting shots, as a player that feels good, you know, you're, you're scoring at a high rate, you know, it seems to be fun, a lot of transition points and all that, but that's not their identity. They want to play games in the sixties. They don't want it to yeah. get up in the eighties and even the high seventies for that matter, because they depend basically on one guy to get everything going in Grant Riller. And mm-hmm. the thing with that is that he plays so many minutes and so many things are dependent upon what he does it's a matter of time that he starts to tire out toward the end of the game. He's, he's a human being. So, you know, if you play that style, you're depending on him to still be fresh at the end. And I just don't think that's a recipe for success for this team. They need to be defenders and rebounders first, not get into a, we can outscore you type of matchup. That's just not how they're going to win games over the long haul. They just can't depend on that for an entire season. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And I, I, I want to mention some more individual performances that were needed because it seems like some guys are struggling a little bit. Some once dependable sources of scoring struggled this weekend. Mm-hmm. But Sam, you know, we'll talk about the Hofstra game too, needed every 20 points he, he gave. Uh, I thought Zepp had a nice bounce back game from going up to William and Mary and not scoring at all. And uh, wish we could celebrate it more, but um, the final score leaves a a sour taste yeah i mean i have a relationship a lot with some of these guys off the court like you know a couple minutes before i go on i get to speak with them and and i'm very fortunate coach grant and staff don't say much to me they allowed me to talk to the guys even though i don't know necessarily their game plan or i don't know exactly what they're going to do but i think they know i understand the game at a high level and the individual so a lot of times I'll mention something to them just in passing the words of encouragement, you know, uh, Zep Jasper, you need to be more aggressive. They need you to be more aggressive for them to be successful. You know, Brevin Galloway, look at the stats. When you score in double figures, we win every game. So yeah. there's something to those, these things. And and sometimes I would remind some of the individual players here and there uh, that, you know, you just have to be mindful of these things. Like, and consistency you know a lot of these kids 
their hopes and dreams are to play on the next level after college. Well, you and I both know statistically that's not going to happen for the almost all, maybe maybe one or two at mm -hmm. most. So I tell them, I said, well, if that's what you're striving for, then consistency is what coaches are looking for. Because if you score four points one night, 20 points the next night, 12 points the next night, how can a coach ever game plan with you? Because he has to know what he's going to get from you each time they go out. And when it's all over the board, it's very difficult to create a game plan. Yeah, that's a really good point. Last question I have on this game. What do you think of the the choice of, of the final shot for Riller to take that kind of walk-in three-pointer? You okay with it? We're talking Northeastern, correct? Northeastern, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to kind of put it back <laughs> in my mind, but I'm okay with it. Um, I'm okay with anything he does because at the end of the day, um, again, this shows my age again, but you know, when the Detroit Lions were in their prime, everybody in the stadium, fans, everybody knows that Barry Sanders is getting the ball. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, everybody knows. Grant Riller is that for the College of Charleston now. Like, everybody knows who's going to get the ball, but who else would you rather have? Yeah. You know, like, it's got to be him. So whatever they game plan with him and towards the end of the game, whether he's tired or not, I just think that you have to, as a staff, you have to put it in the hands of the guy that is your best player because people, even fans, will understand it if it doesn't work. You know, I learned from a yeah. coach a long time ago. I said, Coach, how do you – I won't reveal his name. I said, how do you make decisions? And he goes, you only have to make a decision. Everybody won't agree with what you, what you do. That never will happen. But the only thing you want to – keep in mind is they just they just have to understand why you made that decision so if you give grant Riller the ball at the end of the game and it doesn't work fans aren't going to second guess that because they know what they're thinking well you know he's the best player so i understand why you would do that i'm okay with it too um i think grant has earned the right to take that shot um because of his career to this point um so i know that everybody's anticipating the shot he took and it hasn't hasn't worked this year. I, I forget what other games he's maybe taken that or UCF game. I think he took the same kind of shot and, and it didn't work out, um, but he's made that shot against JMU against William and Mary. So I, I, I agree with you. I'm, I, I'm okay with that shot selection at the end of the game. I mean, without a doubt it, it's, and you know, the thing about this league, the CAA, it has so much parity. The last place team can beat the first place team on any night. I've never seen a conference like this before. It's kind of yes. odd. Yeah. And it's consistent year after year. Um, so it, it's not going to have an, an at-large team come out of it come March Madness time, more than likely. So basically, you're preparing for the CAA tournament. That's how I look at it. I yep. look at it like you're preparing your roster hopefully injury-free going into the CAA tournament, playing your best basketball, because at the end of the day, these losses that you take during the season, nobody's going to remember them if you win that CAA championship, because now you have just given yourself that third season within a season and the most important. Yeah, and we saw the, the parody of the CAA on full display uh, Saturday. All right, so let's switch gears to 
uh, a more positive game. Still, a game, <laughs> <laughs> still a game that that came down to the wire. But man, oh man, was it good to get a win after that sting on Thursday. So I'll, I'll open it up to you to start. I mean, what were just your general takeaways from that Hofstra game? You know, I, I don't know if you personally get a chance to hear uh, me and Everett talk either via stream or radio. But I do. Yeah, I do, this, I do the online stream. Awesome. Um, then, you know, uh, one of the things we talk about is keys to the game. And coming in, I used one I hadn't used before, and it said, don't let Northeastern beat you twice. Yeah. Right? And and the reason for that is because that loss was so stinging and so defeating, you just wanted the college to come in and play and get back to playing confidently, playing their style of basketball, and, and, and put it behind them because you didn't want to get three losses in a row in this conference. You know, you yeah. split on the road so you can live with that. But – you come home and you lose, you give away a game at home. Now, mentally, you have to check back in at home in front of your fans. And they know it too. They Most of the fans that come were, were there Thursday night. So you have to put it behind you and just come out and play and don't worry about what happened two days ago. And so that was a key to me. I wanted to see how they came out early because it was going to be a big indicator to let me know how this team was doing mentally. Yeah, and I was sweating the first part of that game because it seemed like Hofstra could not miss a jumper, uh, whether they were a step inside the three-point line, whether it was Tariq Coburn making it rain. I, don't, I forget how many points he had in the first half. And I, I was a little bit worried. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. And uh, Hofstra, they play that zone defense. Uh, Charleston had to switch up a couple times who was in the middle of that or, or how they played against that. Hofstra shot, I know you're not a stats guy, but shot 55% in that first half. Um, yeah. I think they led by as much as like nine in the in the waning minutes, and then Charleston made a, a nice run to end the first half, um, keep things close. And then, um, again, Sam Miller needed every point he had in that game. Yeah, I mean, again, he's obviously hit another gear in his development, and possibly he's comfortable in the system finally. You know, when you come in as a transfer, I'm familiar with that. Sometimes that first year you're playing, you're kind of just learning your teammates and wanting to fit in and finding your place. And it seems like each game this year, he seemed to be more and more assertive, which is what they need. So I was just happy to see that confidence in him. And you could tell because, I mean, he's letting it fly. He's not hesitating. He's not thinking about it. He's just playing the game. And he's so much better when he does that now. Again, I didn't like the pace of that first half. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm not a stats guy, but I'm aware of them. It was, it was and, a quick pace. It, 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 and I knew that it was similar to what we just saw. Yeah. And so, you know, going into the second half, you 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 mentioned what I said in the Northeastern game. You said, I don't feel good about this. I don't like, you know, the aura about this game. Well, the Hofstra game, within the first couple minutes of the game, if you were listening, you heard me say, I'm liking the pace of it now because they've now slowed the game up and made it a half-court game, which I think gives the Cougars the advantage. For sure, for sure. And I don't know what you said to Zepp Jasper pregame in this, but he was firing. He took 14 shots. Yeah, I mean, it's no secret. I mean, he's such an unselfish guy, you know, and it's funny because you don't want to, you know, critique, criticize a guy that, Team first, always. He's always going to be 
one of the best on the ball defenders. He, he's the he's the he's the honey badger. I mean, and, and he really is. He's emotionally invested. You could tell he yeah. wants to get his teammates going. I just had to remind him that it's not selfishness when you need to make plays because your backcourt mate is one of the best in the country, any level to me. And Grant Riller can play anywhere in the country for anybody. If sure. you contribute at a high level as well, you take some of that pressure off of him. He needs you to be successful. And so I was happy about seeing 14 shots. I personally have told him he should never have a game when he's less than double-digit shots. I mean, he needs to be around 10 to 12. And so I thought it was a positive. I, I, I look at it as a – because he can score better than most people think. So oh, yeah. Show some of those skills. Help out your backcourt, mate, because it just opens things up for everything else. Yeah, he's got a nice little jumper from the free throw line against that zone. He can obviously hit threes. Another another nice game for him. Uh, double digits once again. I thought Richard and Epps off the bench had pretty solid games in this one as well. And I think the bench has been a big part of those late game surges we saw against like JMU and Towson where you, the starters are coming back in refreshed or the, the bench is at least holding their own. Um, but in this one, you know, Epps had that that dunk against the zone, nice pass from Sam. Uh, Jalen Richard's kind of found his shot. Um, so those both those guys, five points for Richard, four from Epps, but um, Epps played a lot of minutes in this one, and and I thought the bench overall was, was pretty solid. They did their job. I think you have to add Reddish to that equation too. Sure. Because yeah. he, he comes in and he gets an offensive rebound. He gets another possession. Yeah. He gets another one, gets a stick back. And you got to remember, these guys are doing it under the guise of not knowing how many minutes they're going to get when they get out there. So yeah. it's tough to come out there cold and say, you know, how can I contribute? But that's what those guys have done. They have learned that they're not going to score their way into more, more minutes. It's not going to work. They have to be great defenders. They have to, you know, create havoc. They have to take charges. You know, all the little things in a game that leads to winning. And so you're right. I, I call Epps. It's funny. I have kind of a nickname for him. I think he's like the PJ Tucker for this team. Ooh, like, okay. Yeah, I like the comp. Yeah, yeah. He's he's kind of that do it all kind of gritty physical guy. And so I like him when he's on the floor. And this is not the first time that we've seen him come in the game and make a, a big impact. So, you know, the elephant in the room is that McManus is not playing well um, yeah. at all, you know. And so you wonder with the emergence of these guys, you know, what is the staff going to do going forward? Because in, in, in the learnings I've had through basketball, uh, 33 years almost, you know, if if there's an older guy playing at a level and there's a younger guy who's playing at the same level or even a little bit below, you always go with the younger guy because you have more time with him. Hmm. So, you know, you just never know what that's going to lead to or how the staff is feeling about the situation because um, you just don't know how many games you can get that kind of production from him and keep him out there, you know, 30 minutes a game, which he's getting sometimes. Yeah, Epps had, had 25. Brevin Galloway has struggled these last two games as well. Um, five points in this one. I, I don't know what he's shooting from three, but the, the green light with him seems to be backfiring a little bit in these games because he's not having that consistency we saw early in the season. What do you diagnose as a player and, and as somebody 
who's there on the sidelines. What do you think is is up with those two, Jalen McManus and Brevin Galloway? Again, I'm looking at it from a perspective of if if I was running the team, if I'm the point guard, you know, and that was the position I played most of my pro career. So psychology is a big part of that job. And so body language tells me a lot about you. Um, how you carry yourself tells me a lot about you. So McManus, I really think he's just lost his confidence because, you know, he's just dejected after any mistake. He just, and it basically just keeps moving to more and more because once you absorb that, that vibe comes around you and it becomes hard to shake. You know, uh, the best players I've ever been around, no matter what they do, had this great ability to just let things go, you know, because things are going to happen in a game. You're going to make mistakes. It's a game of mistakes pretty much. So the guys that can just let it go and move on to the next play and the next half and the next game, those guys tend to be good because they don't let, they don't let one bad game turn into four. You know, it kind of, it kind of stays in that game. And McManus, I think is to the point where his confidence is so shaking. At least it appears like that to me that I don't know what he's going to do to pull out of it. It, It's a personal thing. There's no coach that can put their hand on his back and help him. I mean, they're still playing him major minutes. So right there, that lets you know they believe in you. You know what I mean? You don't have to ask Mm -hmm. if somebody believes in you. When they stop playing you, that means they've given up on you, and they haven't done that. So, you know, he has to just take that, like, look, these guys believe in me, and just go play basketball. Start having fun again. I think if you start having fun, the game becomes easier. Um, with Brevin Galloway, you know, I just think he depends on the jump shot too much. I mean, mm. I was a shooter, so I, I I get it. And you test the water sometimes at the beginning of the game. If you hit one or two and it goes through, it seems like, you know, <laughs> the rim is as big as the ocean. Sure, you, know? yeah. you can't miss. But there's going to be days that you can't, you can't buy a bucket from the perimeter. So... What do you do to change that? Well, you attack the rim and get to the free throw line because just sometimes seeing the ball go through the net on free throws gets the rest of your game going too. So I just think he he's having a hard time learning what time and when to do certain things. You know, if I'm hot, hey, you know, go with it. But if I'm 0 for 2, 0 for 3, and I'm taking pump fakes, step back threes, and it's it's not working for me, you have mm-hmm. to change what you're doing, okay? You have to get a steal, get out, get a layup. You have to get to the rim, get some free throws. Do some other things to contribute to your team. You might not make a three that night, but at the same time, if you work hard enough, you definitely can manufacture eight to ten points each night you play the game, especially if you're on the floor, you know, 25, 30 minutes. Yeah. Yeah, I'm hoping both those guys can kind of break out of this funk. Uh, I was up in Williamsburg for the William & Mary game, and and Jalen McManus had a, had a nice game. He was guarding a seven-footer. He did an okay job. I think he had double figures in scoring. So hopefully this is just um, just a quick funk that with some confidence and maybe maybe he hits his first shot against UNCW on Saturday and, and snaps out of it. Um, yeah, yeah, there's Because no we, we need the scoring from both those guys. For sure. Um, I just... I just worry those guys depend on watching a shot go in to get them going instead mm-hmm. of making a play to get yourself going. That's yeah. two different ways to go about it. You know, sometimes when you play great defensively, it carries over to your offensive game. You know, yeah. when you get a big block or 
big rebound, take a big charge. That energy translates to the other side. And so I don't want those guys, you know, especially Brevin, I think he really depends on seeing the ball go through a couple of times and you kind of tell his energy comes up. He's hopping around defensively. He's in passing lanes. It seems to, you know, it's hard to depend on that because offense comes and goes, but defense and effort and, and, and all of that, you can, you can control that every night. You know, that, that's just right. heart will. And if you start with that and build the other way, I think those guys will find more success. Yeah. Well, Charleston got just enough of that, of that defense late in this game. They only led about 10 minutes. Uh, so it was kind of like they stole this one almost. Uh, but down the stretch, especially Sam, I know we already mentioned him, but he had obviously the huge putback late in the game. Tough putback. I watched, I rewatched it a couple times. I didn't even realize he threw that basically behind his head without even seeing where the rim was. Um, so great shot by, by Sam. I don't know who, what other big guys we've had in the last couple of years who could make a play like that. Um, obviously hit a big three beforehand where Brevin found him and he had a block on, on to sure Bowie on the other end. But um, Charleston, they, they got back to the defensive fundamentals there at the end and it was just enough to, to pull out a victory and one that was much needed from a mental standpoint, I thought. Yeah, I mean you're you're a stats guy. So in the Hofstra game, what was the halftime score? I believe it was uh, it was forty one thirty nine, and then Hofstra only scored twenty six the rest of the way. And Tariq Coburn had zero second half points. Do you see the difference between the two halves? <laughs> yeah, and, and that and and that second half is the way Charleston has to play. So yeah. for two games, we saw them playing the style of North Beaches and Hofstra that plays to their strengths. And for one half, <laughs> they played College of Charleston basketball, a little bit grittier, a little bit harder, you know, not as high scoring, maybe not as even entertaining to fans, but you don't do it for them. You know, you do, you do what's good for your team and the organization to get wins, not necessarily want to be aesthetically beautiful for, for fans. You just can't, you can't build your, your organization that way. I think you have to do what's good for you. And so while it may not be pleasing to the eyes, oh, I... I felt real good about it. The vibe of it, you know, a complete, complete 180 from what we've seen against Northeastern. I was like, oh, I'm liking this because, you know, Grant Rill is getting the rest a little bit. Everything's not going through him. He's going to mm-hmm. be fresh down the stretch. You know, it, it, it's, it's, it's more of a defensive struggle. Hofstra's not getting as many good looks. All these things are, are just fall right under the guise of what the college is and how Earl Grant has built his teams. I think the fans will take an ugly game with a W versus, <laughs> versus an aesthetically pleasing, uh, uh, That's right. you know, a pretty That's game. Right. Good crowd on hand, both games. Yeah, I mean, this is a place I can tell you that if you start winning, you know, winning is a cure-all to everything. You know, it's people love winners and everything in life. It doesn't, doesn't just pertain to basketball, but anything. And so whenever that vibe is there, people are going to come. And uh, I've told those guys, I was like, listen, if you can win games and hopefully one day this program would be back to what I remember it being in the 90s when you're, you know, top 15, top 20 team, you know, for a few years in a row with a class. Yeah. I mean, the support you get is overwhelming because you don't have major college sports here. You know, you 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 have, you know, Division One AA football, you know, in Charleston Southern and Citadel. But Division One basketball is really it, you know. We don't have NFL teams, NBA teams, NHL teams, 
MLB teams. So if you are able to have, you have the whole city behind the, you know, the biggest division in a sport you can have in college. And they're, they're going to, they're going to jump all over that. So use that as fuel, use that as something, you know, like, man, we could, we could really get the whole Charleston region behind us because I've seen it. Now you're starting to sound like me on this podcast. But. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I mean, obviously that's, that's music to, to my ears. Cause for those like me who are very passionate about the program, yeah, we want to see it, see it do its best. And looking around college basketball this year, I mean, look at a team like Dayton that might, might have like elite eight final four potential. They're not, not much separates Dayton from the college of Charleston in terms of market and, and resources. Um, I want to mention briefly, uh, the help that Charleston got across the CAA. I don't know if you saw some of the scores because you were broadcasting, but William and Mary loses at Drexel. Um, and then Northeastern loses at UNCW UNCW's first win in quite some time, but Charleston's right in the thick of it. And um, it's a, it's a league again, like you mentioned with a lot of parody and it's just about getting better each week. Uh, Charleston's got a couple of days off this week before they play uh, UNCW? Yeah, and, and that's the goal. I mean, yes, Everett is one. He always updates me on the stats. During no, that's the right, that's right. He, he, he keeps up with those things more than I do. I am of a different mindset, and, and I believe in this one because I think it keeps you true. You know, while Drexel got that defeat against William & Mary, it helps the Cougars, obviously. But if you're a College of Charleston player, I don't want you to use any energy worrying about what other people are doing mm -hmm. because really you only have one goal. If you have help along the way, great, you know, but you don't want to become dependent on that. And sometimes if you pay attention to that too much, it can take away from what your goals and focus is. So I, I've always been of the belief is like what we do is what we do. We're, we're insulated. We're a unit. Let's take care of our business and the other business that the conference is doing and other factors outside of it will be what it is but let's not use that as a crutch or a help or really to get where we want to go we just need to do we just need to do our part and let's just concentrate on being the best at that so going into this game on saturday what what do you want to see from the cougars more of a commitment to the style of play that they're built for yeah and i think you're going to uh post game me and coach grant were you know, eye to eye on this. We saw it exactly the same way in the last two games. And he's like, hey, we, this, we don't play games in the 80s. That's just not who we yeah. are. That's that's not our identity. And so I think, you know, this this couple days off is going to be big for them. I think they need it mentally more than physically. And just, you know, two highs and lows in a row. And just sit back, get think about what you want to do as a staff and as a team and go back to practice and get back in the routine of doing what you need to do to be successful for the long haul, not for a game here and a game there, but for the long haul. Because again, we're getting ready to get on the backside of this scheduling during the regular season. And you and I both know, you know, the last two or three games of the regular season, you want to be going into the CAA hitting on all cylinders. You want to be playing yeah. your best basketball that time of year. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, Danny, you've been, very generous with your time today. I'm going to let you get back to your life, but uh, thanks for coming on the podcast. And anybody who wants to hear Danny's voice, make sure you tune in on Saturday against UNCW. Third home game in a row for the Cougars. Should have another good crowd, I think. Uh, 
and it should be a, a good game. Yeah, good timing. I mean, Saturday games are always awesome to me because, it, you know, it's kind of that point in the day where, you know, you get, get some sleep in the morning from Friday, but just enough time to get yourself together, get your family together, come down to TD Arena and see some good good basketball, you know, some Division One basketball and enough time to get home and do whatever other plans you have for the day. So I think the setup of it and I think the, the product that the college has is something to come out and see. That's the pitch right there. I appreciate it. Danny, thanks again, man. You're welcome. Anytime.